Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast. I'm Sarah Itchdecker. And I'm Ollie Prady. And on this podcast, that's right, we're going to say podcast a lot. We watch movies, TV shows, and we read books sometimes that depict the medieval world and it, how it's shown in historical fiction and medievalesque fantasy. We talk about what they got right, what they got wrong, and what they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past. So, yeah, this is a podcast that I decided I wanted to do because I am professionally a medieval historian. Um, I have a PhD in medieval history. Ollie, why did you want to do this podcast with me? Well, Sarah told me she wanted to do it, and I said to myself, Sarah will need a co-host, and nobody else in the history of the world would be willing to do that. And because we're friends, I said, I, I, I'll help her out. It's true. Most people are not willing to listen to me talk about medieval history, except for my students, because they have to. <laughs> That's not actually true. Uh, Sarah, I imagine, is an amazing lecturer. I want to do this because I love dudes with swords, <laughs> which is what this movie we're doing today is basically all about. It sure does have a dude, and he sure does have a sword. Now, the one thing that I found annoying about this particular movie is it wasn't historically accurate. Now, I know that's not the kind of thing that Sarah gets up and down about, but I was very upset that Prima Nocta does not happen in this movie. That's the only thing this movie got right. Ooh, it got something right. Stop it, Sarah. It's got a name <laughs> because it's a thing. That's how... That is not true. It has a name because people decided it was a thing and invented it in the early modern period. I am going to, at this point, splice in audio of your mam saying, but Sarah, it's got a name, so therefore it must be a real thing. We are not going to have that on every episode of this podcast. <laughs> every single time. <laughs> we are absolutely not doing that. But, <laughs> I'm the one who does the editing. But Sarah, <laughs> what was the name of the movie we did this this week? Today we watched 2017's King Arthur Legend of the Sword. Legend of the Sword. That sword yes. being, of course, Excalibur. And we all know about Excalibur. It's a really famous sword that has loads of magic stuff. And its magic power means that it can make your eyes glow and sometimes make you pass out. But this isn't just your daddy's Excalibur. This it's, is a badass Excalibur. This is a badass Excalibur. And I hate that phrase Sarah just used. I'm not going to repeat it because I was intensely aware as we were watching this that I have a kid, which means that this is his daddy's King Arthur. And I want to go and jump <laughs> off a bridge because of this. Um, this yeah, this is your King Arthur. Congratulations. It's, it's, the, it's yours. It's the worst I've ever... Oh, Sarah. Oh, God. <laughs> But let's get into it. It's directed by Guy Ritchie. That's right, Guy Ritchie. I know what you're thinking. He's the person I would want to direct a historical epic um, because he's done such movies as Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and Layer Cake and Rock and Roller. Um, yeah, and he was married to Madonna. So as you can tell, bang on, this is what you want. Or this is the guy you want to be directing your historical movie. It's a really natural career progression, I'd say. It feels like it's a natural career progression. Uh King Arthur is played by uh, Charlie Hunnam. Um, I know Charlie Hunnam from other movies I don't like and from other good movies where he gives bad performances. He was pretty good in the TV show Undeclared, like, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. I've I've never seen Undeclared. What's what's it about? Oh, it's a, is that the one about going to college? Yeah, it's a, it's a comedy about going to college and he's a... I think he's supposed to be I think he's supposed to be British and the whole point is that uh, you know he basically gets a lot of women to sleep with him by pretty much having a British accent. Oh, well Charlie I think that's sort of the point of his character. 
He is British, I think. I think he is. I think he is. He might. Be, maybe he's not. He. I. I just assumed he was. Um. Yeah. But uh, on, I'm gonna look it up. He's we in. Find out if he's British. He's in Pacific Rim. Um, I never saw Pacific Rim. Uh oh, you haven't. Well, we should oh, definitely yeah. watch Pacific Rim because it's dumb yeah. as a plank, but also really fun. Yeah, he's also in the show Sons of Anarchy, which I've never actually seen, but his character's name is Jax Teller. Mm. J-A-X, which is the most ridiculous name I've ever heard. Mm, it's one of the most ridiculous ridiculous names I've ever heard. But I did also learn today that Americans don't put an E in judgment. Um, sorry. We are incorrect about so, that. So that's just weird to me. It also has uh, Jude Law, um, or as I like to now refer to him as Young Dumbledore, as Vortigern. Jimon uh, Hansu. I'm not going to talk about Jude Law anymore. Jimon Hansu as uh, Bedivere. Aidan Gillen. Um, Tommy Carcetti. Mm-hmm. Um, Littlefinger. Littlefinger. And Littlefinger plays a man named Goose Fat Bill Wilson, which is a great name. Um, yeah, <laughs> Eric Bana as Charlie Hunnam's dad, um, and then Katie McGrath, Morgana herself as Vortigan's wife, Elsa. Now everyone else yes. that's in the movie is pretty much ignorable at this point. I would say the only reason, even that Katie McGrath is somebody who is worth mentioning, is really only because we have seen the TV show Merlin, and we'll be discussing it sometime and we, soon. We will be discussing it very soon, I believe. No, right. Uh, we're going to try and speed things up a little bit. Because this is not the kind of movie which requires a two-hour discussion in any way, shape, or form. And even though we've been getting better and getting quicker at, uh, at what we've been doing, I think last week's episode, um, Timeline, ended up being our longest episode ever. <laughs> yeah, so we... Well, we had the kind of extra, you know, we had a guest for the first time. So, uh, you know, working through what that entails, so... Yeah, and also it was just a movie that required that sort of level of dissection. Um, it did, what, it did. What an amazing piece of cinema. But let's get into it. And we start with our section where we run through the movie and we discuss it in exhausting detail, um, except for this but movie. we're running this time, so Ex- less exhausting. Well, it's going to be less exhausting because we, <laughs> we may not remember as much of it as the other movies. Um, so this is a section we call... Enumeratio. And I feel extra special today because we're recording this as Pope Francis is in Ireland. So I feel like my choir singing and is, is, is extra special. I don't think Pope Francis would like this movie. I, I, I don't think he would. Um, he might say that it's repellent. Um, he might. Yeah. He would be right. He would be. So <laughs> how does the movie start, sir? So we begin with uh, a wizard named Mordred who lays siege to Camelot, uh, essentially so that the wizards can take over. I think he's basically just Voldemort, um, but he's Voldemort dressed like Sauron. So there's a lot going on in terms of things this movie stole from other movies. Hmm. Let me just think about this a second. Mordred. Now, he seems like the kind of person who might be incredibly important in Arthurian legend. You would think that about Arthurian legend, and you might be right in the case of most Arthurian legend. However, he dies in about five minutes. Weird, since off the top of my head, he's the guy who kills Arthur. 
Yeah, that's going to be pretty hard for him to do since he died when Arthur was about five, apparently. Yeah. Um, also, I want to get to the whole Arthur being five thing when we get to the selective amnesia later on. But that's yes. that's beside, and we'll get away from that now. So Mordred yes. is attacking and Udipar Dragon is hanging out with his dudes. And um, basically, Mordred is using loads of like magic-y type stuff. Merlin is nowhere to be seen. Um, so no, there's no Merlin. What happens is Uther Dragon uses his super duper super magic sword and finds a way to sneak onto uh, Mordred's giant. Um, I was going to say it's a siege engine because that's basically what it is. Um, he climbs up the There are engine. elephants. Yeah, and they're elephants. They are giant cool giant magic elephants. elephants. Yeah. Like these are monstrous elephants. These are this is like the Great Walls that which we may do at some point, starring Matt Damon size elephants like these are monstrous things um they're fantasy elephants yeah sorry they're fantasy they're elephants, fantasy yeah. elephants. They're definitely not real elephants um and they go around they basically start like uh crushing stuff and it looks like it looks like camelot is doomed but uter pendragon takes his magic sword gets onto the uh giant siege engine and ends up killing mordred and that's it that's it done. That's like the And that's it like, for Mordred. Boom, Mordred's done. Uh, as Sarah has written down in her notes, he looks a bit like uh, Voldemort and also a little bit like he's cross-playing, uh, he's Voldemort cosplaying as Sauron, which is... Yeah, I think weird. that's pretty much what's going on with him. Although, admittedly, I didn't hate this scene. No, this is far from the worst part of this movie. Like, if this was the ending of the movie and it built up to this... And we knew who all the cool. characters were. It would be kind of cool. Um, we get to meet Uther's buddies, who are played by Aidan, Aidan Gillen and Jimon Hansu. And uh, that's it. As Sarah said, the movie doesn't really deserve this cast. It definitely does not, because it's yeah. bad. Um, yeah. Then, <laughs> then we get to meet Uther's brother. Uh, what's his name, sir? Vortigern. And who is kind of maybe a real person so we will talk about him a bit more later Ooh. but Vortigern neither than Mordred it turns out is going to be our main villain so in addition to this movie uh, maybe being not quite good enough for Eric Bana that's okay because Eric Bana is going to get killed in about by minute about 10. Yeah he gets killed very very quickly because his brother he wants to throne because he does. I have no idea why, but he decides he wants a throne. And in order to do so, he decides to sacrifice his wife. Now, his wife is named Elsa. Um, I just want everyone to understand that I'm naming this particular lady and it will become obvious she why she has a name. And it will become obvious when we get to the end of the movie that uh, this is slightly different from what else happens in the movie. But he decides to kill his wife, Elsa, who is played by the very lovely Katie McGrath who will come up with later on as well in, in another section of this podcast. Um, Rest and, in peace, Morgana. Uh, she dies. And then he goes off and he turns himself into a giant monster by asking some squid people for help. And he goes I mean, that's and, why he killed his wife, because the sacrifice of someone he loved allows him to turn into the giant monster. This giant monster basically looks like a giant flaming minotaur. And um, he kills Uther and his wife, Igraine. And their son, Arthur, escapes by getting dropped into a boat. Now, I thought that was pretty hilarious because he gets dropped into the boat. Just plop him on in. The battle between Uther and the giant monster, you know, it takes a couple of minutes. Arthur is still sitting in the boat when Uther dies. So... Right. Why doesn't Mordigan just walk to the end of the dock and go and there's the baby in the boat? 
I I guess he's busy with experiencing being a weird monster. Yeah, it is. It's a, a, admittedly though, it's a kind of super cool monster. The monster is kind of cool. Um, but so also I would like to say at this point, for those of you keeping score at home, it has been a couple of weeks since we have mentioned the Ipsch-Decker test because the last movies have actually passed. But this is our test as to whether there is a single named female character who doesn't die. As of minute 10 of this movie, there were two named female characters and they are both dead. They have both been killed uh, and both been killed violently. Yes, um, they have both been murdered by Vortigern. Yeah, um, because as we're going to get uh, to later on, that seems to be his bag. So that is two named ladies and both of them have died. So Arthur gets dropped into this boat and he kind of floats down the river and he lands in the wonderful city of Londinium. Um, now, I'm not an expert on medieval history, if only I knew one. But uh, Londinium, Sarah, I imagine didn't look like a Middle Eastern city at any stage in its history. It definitely didn't look like a Middle Eastern city at this stage. And uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more later. But at this point in the approximately late 5th, early 6th century, when this seems to more or less be set, it also would not have looked much like a city at all. It would have been kind of in ruins and would not have been a thriving metropolis. As uh, Sarah mentions, uh, this is set in the 5th or early 6th century. It seems to be in the last 30 years or so, um, a lot of people have moved to this idea that King Arthur, if he did exist, was left over from the Roman Empire and he would have been a landed gentry kind of Roman. Um, But, you know, that's not what the original fables would have told you about him but that's that's beside the point now but he's left over roman and uh and that's what they're i think they're trying to get at this point but yeah i think the vibe they're trying to go for is uh that this is a period after the fall of the roman empire in the west and that it's the kind of crumbling of roman authority in britain and that everything's kind of messy because of that yeah and that's definitely what they're trying to get at but uh they're not necessarily doing the best job they're not doing a particularly good job at all um, no. Now, we get uh, a little montage of King Arthur growing up. Now, Sarah, did you enjoy this montage? This montage was kind of ridiculous. It is basically like him wandering around, like turning into a street fighter. He's going to basically like an MMA gym. <laughs> He's being like raised by these prostitutes, so we get to see a lot of the prostitutes because you need to have more naked women who don't have names in this movie. The whole thing is really ridiculous. Yeah, he gets taken in by prostitutes, and he's being raised there. And what we see is him starting out as a kid, just cleaning up and uh, cleaning up and washing the rooms, and the prostitutes giving him a little bit of money, and then the marks giving him a little bit of money. Are they called marks or Johns? If you go to a prostitute. Um, I think Johns. I think Marks are uh, people that can easily be mugged. Ah, sweet. So tricked in street scams, like my dad. Oh, your dad is uh, <laughs> is not a Mark. You just think he's a Mark because he nearly got marked a couple of times. But um, uh, multiple he's got, times. Uh, he in might be a cities. he might be a guest in the future. We don't want to be throwing shade his way. But they uh, they, they show him just collecting little bits of money, and then 
using that money to go and train with Paddy. Uh, he looks like a Chinese uh, gentleman who is training in him to do Kung Fu, but he's also learning how to George. wrestle. His name is George. Um, and it, as Sarah said, it really is like he's learning medieval MMA because there's wrestling, there's boxing, there's karate, little there's little bits of parkour, little bits of judo. But every time he does a little job, and we show him getting various jobs or and then we show him doing a couple of little robberies and stuff. He is saving up his money and keeping it in a chest in the prostitute room. And by the time he gets up to being, I think he looks like he's about 21 or 22, he's meant to look at in this movie. Um, yeah. He definitely doesn't look like a teenager anymore. He definitely looks like he's, he's in his 20s. He is basically running the prostitution ring and uh, running the brothel. And he has a big pile of gold and he's got a bunch of hench dudes working for him. And when I say hench dudes, they're basically his friends. He's hanging yeah, out with these Yeah, there's also dudes. something I would say slightly problematic about the fact that the good guy is the guy running a brothel. I have very mixed feelings about that uh, to add to my many concerns about gender in this movie. But well, uh... <laughs> one, one thing I would ask, Sarah, is were there any other jobs for women at this time? There are so many other jobs for women. This is actually one of my other frustrations about uh, movies set in, the, set in the Middle Ages, is that if women are not noble women and actually are working and have jobs, they're pretty much always just prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are women who, you know, are managing property. There are women artisans, you know, especially women are very, um, at pretty much every time and place in the Middle Ages, women have actually been very active in a lot of the uh, different um, sides of the textile industry. Um, women are laundresses. There are a number of different things that women are doing besides being prostitutes, although, of course, women were prostitutes as well. So I find it kind of frustrating that the only women in this movie, except for a couple of noble women, most of whom don't do very well, and one other character that we'll get to, um, all of our kind of, you know, working class ordinary women are prostitutes. Now, just a, a quick question about these prostitutes that uh, King Arthur is, or sorry, he's not, he's just Arthur at this point, is looking after. Is um, Do they have names, Sarah? Nope. I don't think a single one of them has names. But don't worry, they can still be hit in the face, even if they're nameless women. I, I actually, uh, I'm going to correct you on this. That's right. I'm going to well actually you on this one. Um, oh, <laughs> well, yeah, actually, really? one of them has a name. Um, is it mentioned in the movie or is it just in the credits? It's, it's mentioned in the movie, but but she's the one that gets killed by Fort again later. Of course she is. <laughs> <laughs> There's one called Sally. And yeah. uh, and he calls her Sal, and he comes in a couple of times. And Sal is the one that leads to the confrontation that brings this all to a head, because Sal gets slapped around by some Vikings. Bumped into the Vikings this morning. They insisted I give you this with their deepest apologies. Do yourself well. This wasn't your responsibility, Arthur. Don't be silly. You girls have looked after me for a lot longer than I've looked after you. I owe you everything. <laughs> What's so funny? I just want to know how you get money out of Vikings. You asked them for it. Um, as we all know, Vikings were around about in the uh, 5th and 6th century, Sarah, I believe, yes? Uh, we're about 200 or so years early for the Vikings. Closer to 300, actually? Closer to 300. <laughs> I, it seems like this is, but these Vikings, um, 
who are clearly speaking English in modern Norwegian accents. Um, you know, I just wasn't even going to get into that in this movie. I feel like it was just not even worth getting started on the language situation happening here. I find it very, very funny um, because everybody because has language, a modern accent. Yeah, but the language, of course, that the people living in England would have been speaking also would have been a lot more like German than like modern English. So. Oh, this is very modern English. This is everybody is speaking in Cockney in this point. In particular, there's oh a scene God. where the leader of the local police, the local gendarmes, if you were in French, or uh, the local fuzz, if you wanted to uh, to talk about them in England. So the lo- local coppers, the five um, o, the five o, are called the black legs <laughs> because they wear black leggings, um, and they. Oh, is that why? Yes. So. <laughs> They come along and they come into the brothel. What would happen to a man who hits the king's barge up river? Well, you know what would happen. And it doesn't happen quickly. What would happen to the people harboring such a man? Well, they get treated the same as the man they hide. Would they now? Not sure you're too welcome here, mate. <laughs> where our good King Arthur is hiding out. And they've been looking for somebody. And it turns out that the person they were looking for was Littlefinger. And after they find Littlefinger, um, the leader of the Blacklegs sits down with... Uh, leader of the Blacklegs, played by Roos, or Hoos Bolton from... Uh, I'm going to say Hoos. I, wa- I can't see an R at the start of a first name and not pronounce it like a H now because I watch so much MMA and there's all the Brazilian fighters pronounce it as a H but um so Roose Bolton from um from Game of Thrones uh which is why Sarah hated him straight away um he's I didn't the- know who he was I was just like I don't trust that man why do I hate and distrust him <laughs> it's just the, it's it, but he just has that face about him um yeah so Roose Bolton is the leader of Black Legs and after they catch uh Littlefinger in the brothel um, King Arthur has no time for him. He's just like, get out of here, little finger or whatever. Um, and they put him. Brothels into... are his natural habitat. Yeah, oh, of course, yes. Which I think is pretty funny because, like, anytime I see little finger or Aiden killing in a brothel from now on, I'm just going to be like, oh, look at him, it's little finger. That's where he lives. That's where he goes. <laughs> That's where he should be. Um, but uh, they sit down and He's have home. they have the most Guy Ritchie conversation that's ever happened in a movie. What's going on? What's going on where? You've got some heat on you, Arthur. Your name keeps coming up. In what circles? My mum's sewing circle. I'm a black leg sergeant, stupid. What circles do you think? Now tell me a story about a girl called Lucy, a Viking called Greybeard, and some rebel graffiti dirty in these walls. Are you writing a book? Tell me every detail. It's literally like it should be in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, except that all of a sudden they're supposedly in the Middle Ages. Yes, it's... Uh, do you know what? I don't hate that scene. You know, I'm actually totally fine with deliberate anachronisms, which that clearly is. I think that is a perfectly reasonable creative choice one can make in a medieval movie. And yeah, that was an okay scene. It, yeah, it, it was. It, I think it's a good scene because the actors yeah. sell it. Um, Roose Bolton is a very good actor. I can't remember his he name is. off the top of my head, but he's a very good actor. Um, Charlie Hunnam is doing his I've got a gruff voice. But it's not quite Jason Statham's um, kind yeah, of voice. Yeah, I don't think he's actually that great of an actor and probably is not good enough to be carrying this movie, but... 
I'm not sure he's good enough to be carrying a watermelon, to be honest with you. Um, but he, you know, he, he makes an effort at it. And, you know, fair play to him. So, um, <laughs> uh, because they've run afoul, these, uh, what um, Bruce Bolton says is, you didn't understand. So that basically King or Arthur seems to be like four steps ahead of them all the time with the story and he's filling them in. And at the very end, Bruce Bolton reveals that actually they were under the protection. These Vikings that they came in and kind of roughed up a little bit are under the protection of Vortigan. They all lived happily ever after. No, they didn't either. Because for the first time, there's something you don't know. Something nobody told you. And that is? They're under the protection of the king. And once you're under the protection of the king, I can't help you. Nobody can. So uh, he's now persona non grata and he tries to make an escape. He goes for a run, but to catch him. And uh, it turns out that all men, Arthur's age, have to go pull this sword, which has suddenly just appeared because the lake has, or sorry, the river Them or Thames, Thames um, has suddenly drained for some reason. And they have magic. to. Yeah, I just. It's magic. I'd say it's probably magic. Um, so he has to go and pull this sword from the stone. Now, Sarah, is this a good scene? Honestly, I thought it was a really dumb scene. Um, there is a huge number of people. And so Vortigern's plan seems to be that the way he's going to, spoiler alert, the sword is Excalibur. And if you pull it out, that means you're Arthur, the son of the late Uther Pendragon. Mm-hmm. So, so the way he's going to try to catch this person is by then having him demonstrate that he is the rightful king in front of a massive crowd of people. Yeah. And so this it, seems like an inherently really dumb idea. It's a stupidly dumb idea. It's like there's literally thousands of people there. There's, I mean, there are hundreds of yeah. soldiers. There's thousands of people at this scene and they're all looking on as Arthur pulls the sword out of the stone. So like that reveals that he is King Arthur. Um, now, because it's a magic sword, he basically collapses. Um, we also got a little cameo from one uh, professional or former professional footballer, David Beckham, in this movie. Oh, that's um, right. He's there for about 30 seconds. He gets to say, what? Well, just shy in, pull the sword. Um, David Beckham, I really like him. He seems like a genuinely nice bloke. Not an actor. All right, where'd you want me? Trigger. I think we've got one here. Bouncing on my knee. Where'd you think I want ya? Hands on the hill, stupid. At least trying. No, but you know, he, he was trying. He was having a good time. I Far will... from the worst thing about this movie is David Beckham's cameo. <laughs> I will say this though. He's a very handsome man. He's a very handsome man. Like, I mean, like he looks after and he himself. he got to marry Posh Spice, so, you know. Exactly. And Sarah, I believe you were a massive... Uh, Spice Girls fan in back in the day. Spice Girls was my first concert when I was about eleven. Oh, well, I was joking, but you went to see the, posh, <laughs> the Spice Girls. I was concert. eleven, but yes, I went to see the Spice Girls. Okay, this is I gonna... still will occasionally do wannabe at karaoke if I have drank a lot first. Oh, this is going to show my age, but for my little sister's thirteenth birthday, I took her to see the Spice Girls. So I have also seen the Spice Girls in concert. Mm, see they're fun right uh, <laughs> I, I can't admit that in publicly but I'm going to cut this out 
<laughs> so you shouldn't. So, I think I think you need to embrace it. For people basically. listening, for people listening, there might sound like a weird cut there until Sarah's laughing, but I didn't say anything. It's just I just pretended like I did. Now, um, <laughs> as we move on, uh, he collapses and he gets brought to the palace, uh, which is an actual nice looking palace. I think it looks it does a good job of maybe appearing to be a fifth or sixth century. Yeah, so it's a really cool building. It definitely could have been a building of the 5th or 6th century in a different country. Well, yeah, it definitely has. It, uh, <laughs> it would have been right at home in uh, like the Byzantine parts of Italy or in Constantinople. Yeah, it definitely has that Turkish look to it. It's a beautiful building. I wonder if it actually is a real building, but whatever it is, it looks really good. Um and yeah, it's very much yeah, like sixth century Byzantine architecture. Like somebody like Justinian, the Roman Emperor Justinian, because you know the Eastern Roman Empires who just call themselves the Roman Empires. Somebody, somebody like Justinian, he would yeah. have had that palace. Perfect. Um, and then Vortigern reveals his evil plan. And the thing about this is, this is the first time in a movie in a long time where I've had uh, the evil guy, the bad guy, reveal his evil plan, and I kind of went. Oh, that, that kind of makes sense. I will show them power. I will show them strength and dignity. You will show them lies, weakness, and shame. Hell, King Vortigern! King Vortigern! Yeah, it was actually a pretty good plan. Um, so he's basically like, I'm just going to make you look like an idiot. And a person who is in no way fit to be king, which honestly, actually him passing out the second he picked up Excalibur kind of feeds into that pretty well. And then I'm going to just publicly execute you for the good of the people. Yeah, like it's it's a it's a perfect plan. You hold Excalibur, collapse. I'm going to then tell people that you've been run the brothel and then I'm going to cut your head off. And that's what villains should always do and never do in movies is just cut off the head of the hero. Yeah. Um, it also happens uh, It happens in other movies. Like, I think we watched... Uh, this is now, this is off-brand for us, but we watched the Mission Impossible movies recently. And there's at least 10 scenes in the last two we watched where you're just like, just just kill him. Just shoot him in the head. Yeah. Like, you, both Ethan right and now. the bad guys. Like, just Ethan, you shoot him in the head. Movie over. Bad guy dead. Or, bad guys, you've got Ethan. Just shoot him in the head. And they never do. And they never do. And I mean, Also, every James Bond movie. Yeah. Here, let oh. me put you in a pit with a shark. Come on. Yeah. Shoot him in the head. I, not, not even put him in a pit with a shark. Let me put you on a bridge which is about to collapse into a pit with a shark. Yes. Like, <laughs> if only you could escape that. Like, come on. What are you doing? Like, <sighs> Also... James, I've been the architect of all of your problems. Like, shut up, Christopher. The line is actually more ridiculous. It's it's me, the architect of all of your pain. Yeah, oh, that's what it is, <laughs> of all of your pain. I am your half-Austrian brother, Christoph Waltz. <laughs> because that's right. You were adopted into an Austrian family who live in... Scotland. Oh. <laughs> like it doesn't like make... all Austrian families. It's so ridiculous. But anyway, let's get away from this <laughs> this ridiculous new timeline for wait, hold on a second. We're talking about this movie. Um so um he is 
about to get executed in front of all of the people in London, but <gasps> Uther's former generals come on stage and escape. And they are helped by some cool magic. And the cool magic involves an eagle or a hawk? Yeah, she's an eagle at this point, right? Yes, she changes yeah. herself into an eagle and flies down and attacks um, Vortigern as he's about to chop the head off uh, King Arthur. He drops the sword, Arthur uh, grabs it. It doesn't affect him for some reason when he grabs it this time. And uh, and then in comes Sir Bedivere and uh, Goosefat Bill. Uh, no, Goosefat, Goose actually, Goosefat Bill isn't here. We don't see Goosefat Bill until later on again. Yeah, he's, he's technically in right, prison at so. this point. Um, right, it's just Bedivere. It's just Bedivere. Um, and they at escape. this point, we yeah, we also get the introduction at this point of a new female character, but she does not have a name, and so she's just referred to even in the credits as the mage, and she is basically Merlin's apprentice. So she's not Merlin. Merlin really never shows up. She's just some lady who's Merlin's underling. And who hangs out with King Arthur for the rest of this movie? Yeah, it's th- this really annoyed me, and I hope it came true when Sarah yep. was going through our notes on this. Is they decide not to have Marilyn. They decide to have this female character, and it it's literally just for possible sexual tension. I believe to do it like there's like there's no reason. I mean- I'm glad at least they had a woman. And if they wanted to just have her gender swapped and make her Merlin, I would have been fine with that. I find it annoying that they put her in as a just like, oh, here's a woman and she's basically Merlin's glorified servant. But even And also we're never gonna name her. Even with um even with that, you don't have to have her as gender swapped Merlin because Morgana exists. That's true. You could also just have her be Morgana. You like, could have her be any number of named characters. Do you know who she could have been? Guinevere with magic. Yeah, that would have been fine too. There are so many ways they could have gone with this to have managed but, to give her a name and had her be a real character who made sense. They didn't do any of them. From the way they're setting up the sexual tension with Arthur, right? I'm assuming that they are going to make her Guinevere like that like if they did sorry if this had have been successful enough to get the sequel that they obviously thought it was going to be uh, oh they did get. originally the original idea behind this was that this was going to be one of like six movies let me just say right now um I'm pretty sure this movie did not make enough money for that to happen which is good because I think if I had to watch five more of these movies I might kill myself <laughs> I might do the same. Um the Right, so she comes along and she has but she doesn't get a name. She's just referred to as the mage and it's kind of annoying and by kind of annoying I mean very annoying. Um they leave um the real issue with this is that so far we've only had two uh women characters with names. They've both been killed. Or sorry, Sal has also been killed. Um, uh, who else has been hurt at this point? Oh yeah, uh, th- some of the prostitutes have been beaten by the Vikings, and now we have a mage who has no name. Um, and right. she's she's not uh she's not an important character in Utherian legend or Arthurian Utherian legend Arthurian legend. So Utherian legend centered on Uther, everyone's favorite. Everyone does love Uther. Um, 
But this is, oh God, hashtag let him die. In fact, he <laughs> may be the origins of hashtag let him die. Or one oh, of them. Oh, Uther in Merlin? I Uther think in Merlin. I think it might be. So uh, we'll, yeah. we'll get to that next week. But, uh, for, oh, spoiler alert. But um, yeah, this movie really does seem to hate women. <laughs> so ew. It really does. So uh, Merlin, which we will talk about at some point in the near future, is the origins of hashtag let him die. I believe this movie is actually the origins of where I came up with the Ift Decker test because, spoiler alert, it's not going to pass. <laughs> Nobody who is a named female character will survive this movie. So nope. Arthur gets taken to a hideout by um, Bedivere. Bedivere is being played by Gmon Hansu, by the way. Um, and it's he's, he's Gmon Hansu, so he's playing Gmon Hansu good. in a movie. He's, he's good in everything yeah, he does. he's great. He's, He's just there. I mean, he's even great in uh, in Fast and the Furious Seven. Like he's just, you know, he just does a good job. Like, yeah, he's just there. So, uh, but they bring him there, and they say, "You have to go to a place called the Darklands. You have to take your sword so that they can give you back your memories, and you can figure out who you are." And as I'm, this was happening, all that could through my head was, "Is this basically going to Dagobah?" So that you can train to fight your father. Because... Yeah, it's basically that. <laughs> it's like you have to go and have visions. And, and then, like, at some point, I'm fairly certain he fights himself for a second. And it's like, okay. Yeah. But he's going to have to go to the, the, the Badlands. He acts like an absolute dick in this scene. They give him a sword. They, they want him to fight. He calls Littlefinger, <laughs> Littlefinger, he calls Goosefat Bill, who has showed up again. There's no explanation of how he escapes um, prison, but Goosefat Bill has showed up again. He calls him Honey Tits, so Goosefat Bill slaps him. Why don't you leave him with me for a minute or two, boss? Put your ring back on, Honey Tits. You haven't had enough porridge this morning to talk like that. And if you like that sword so much, your lordship, you can keep it to peel your grapes. Um, to do a little bit of uh, sword play uh, and as if you've been listening to the episodes you know I'm a big fan of sword fights in movies these are not good sword fights um, no. it's just just randomness uh, and then he holds on to Excalibur again and collapses but when he wakes up he decides that he is going to go to the Badlands because he has a vision Sarah and the vision is of the lady in the lake and she tells him go and do it Oh, I thought Basically. that was later, the Lady in the Lake thing. Does she? Does he not have oh, two no, visions? Oh, no, does he have two visions of the Lady in the Lake? He has two visions. He has this one. Oh. He has this one now where he collapses and then he decides to go to the Darklands. Right. And then he has and the one yeah. later on when he tries to throw away the sword. Right. So the yeah. idea behind the Darklands also is in part that he needs to learn how to use Excalibur because at this point, basically the only thing that happens whenever he picks up Excalibur is that his eyes glow and then he passes out, which is, to be fair, a pretty shitty power. It is a terrible power that he has at the minute. So he has to go and learn how to use it. So they send him into Darklands and he has to fight all giant snakes and rats and bats and stuff. And um, Yeah, I'm kind of rooting for the giant rats. Yeah, hashtag let him die. But um, <laughs> the problem with this is they're giant rats and bats and giant snakes, and it's not cool. No, they're the worst giant snakes and bats I've ever seen, which is kind of sad. Yeah, but we do get 
one, and this is my favourite scene in the movie, where he remembers being a young child, a five-year-old, who sees his dad getting killed. And we find out that his dad died to save him, which we kind of already knew. But we also find out that the rock that he was in, or that the sword was in, was actually Uther's body. And he, the Excalibur had cast a magic spell on him after he stopped Vortigan. And that's actually what broke. So I was just, I'm just remembering now. That's what broke the dock. Um, right. It's so, the stone yeah. corpse of Uther. Exactly. The stone corpse broke the dock and that's how Vortigan couldn't get. And it's, it's, it was the stone falling into the water, which caused the push, which sent the boat down the river and away from Vortigan. Um, which, which is a really cool scene, and it's a really good idea yeah, to have that. It and is. It's, it's like, that's legit interesting. And if it was in a better movie, I'd be like, yeah. But problem is, it's not in a better movie. It's in this movie. It's so sad. So now that he's had all of these visions, Arthur all of a sudden knows, I guess, because he was sitting around and had these visions and fought some rats he now knows how to use Excalibur and is super excited about this whole rebellion thing and defeating uh, Vortigern who murdered his parents yeah so he did so Arthur says let's get my group of homies together and we're going to go and uh, attack him and we're going to try and shoot him in Londinium now the problem I I mentioned there before is we have uh, Arthur getting his flashback of his memory of his dad dying right but also, he's a five-year-old. When he left the palace, he was a five-year-old. When he got picked up by the prostitutes, would he not have said, I'm Arthur, the son of Uther? I assume it's supposed to be a like so, like amnesia due to trauma. But I, like, I assume that's probably what they're going for. But it wiped his entire five years? Well, he knew his name was Arthur. That's so, yeah, he knows his name's Arthur. <laughs> But he's not able to, and also if they, like, how many children named Arthur are there banging around Londinium at this time? Could just go See, and look at them. This is actually my problem with Star Wars, but that's a different story. Oh, how many Skywalkers are there? Yeah, so why didn't he, like, I don't know, lo- go into the database of people who live on his home planet and see if any of them were named Skywalker? Yeah, but, you know, that's, <sighs> who knows what's so... hidden in the archives there. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, so in the Middle Ages, at least, like, you know, he didn't have a database. He could just Google the name Arthur in, but he would have actually been able to probably, you know, have somebody tell him about, like, hey, there's actually a guy named Arthur who is exactly the right age to be Arthur's son of Uther. <laughs> Maybe you want to check him out. Yeah, and we get a scene where they're about to kill, um, they're about to kill Vortigan. And Sarah, this scene has another woman in it. Um, does she have a name and survive? Neither. She neither oh. has a name nor does she survive. Oh, because it turns out that Vortigan had a man or somebody in the uh, exiles group the entire time and he knows it's been a trap and he uses the woman as a shield against the arrows which were fired at him and she dies without ever revealing her name. Rest and, in peace, blonde lady. Uh, rest in peace, who has no name and never shall. And we don't read the credits. If they're not named in the movie, we don't count the credits, even if the credits no. decide to call her Isabel, which appears to be the most common medieval fantasy name. Her name is probably Isabella. <laughs> so we skip, we skip to uh, all of them regrouping at um, the MMA gym, which was run by George. And they get attacked by the Blacklegs, 
there's only like 12 or 14 of them. They're getting their asses kicked. And then Arthur suddenly takes out Excalibur and he's using it really well. He's he's quite good with it. And then he decides to create an earthquake with it. And I'm not sure if he decides to. He just kind of slams it down and creates an earthquake, which kills all the black legs in the, uh, in the courtyard, but none of his own men which doesn't make any sense because they're all affected by the earthquake. It's a it's a mystery earthquake yeah. that nobody knew was coming. So it it's shouldn't also be kind selective. of ridiculous because there's nothing that's previously happened in the movie that would lead us to believe either or that would explain the fact either that, you know, why Excalibur can, I don't know, control dirt or how Arthur would know it could do anything like that. <laughs> so whatever. We, we get um there's a couple of cool things about this particular uh, sequence of events is we get to see Vortigan's courtroom, which looks very fancy and very Italian. Um, yes, it does. Uh, Jason Statham, my boy Jason. Oh, Jason. And I'm Jason Statham. Um, he shows up for about five seconds. Um, and he is a guy who owns a building that allows them to go up into the building to shoot arrows from it. So they go around and ask permission. And he's like, yeah, hey, go, go on upstairs, lads, whatever. Um, because he's Jason yeah. Sam and he's friends with Guy Ritchie. Um, so he's like, okay, no worries, I'll do it. Yeah, Fortigern's throne is like an edgy armchair. It's so uh, another creative <laughs> anachronism. <laughs> it is so weird. It is like an edgy armchair. It actually looks like it's kind of like in fairness, when you look at the Iron Throne and other thrones we've seen in movies, they look uncomfortable. This looks like you could actually sit in it and be like, yeah, that's true. I'm See, digging the this. point of the Iron Throne is that it's supposed to be uncomfortable because being king is uncomfortable and hard. Mm-hmm. Um, other things about this scene is the uh, arrows are just bombs. Like they're, they're like super magic arrows. Yeah. It's like Hawkeye's arrows uh, being used at this point. Um, yeah, there's also a character whose name is Mike who's wearing a tank top. So I, I don't know where, I don't know how he got into this movie. Yeah, now Sarah's written a note down here and um, I remember us talking about it at the time. And we were both like, what's happening? What's going on here? Um, so basically, the Blacklegs uh, are all wearing masks. And it's never explained why. There's, there's no reason for I think it's so that we it. know they're the bad guys as people watching this movie. Uh, because now they just look like the Death Eaters, basically. They just look like Death Eaters. <laughs> and I think Sarah might be right. is because some of our boys dress up as Blacklegs to, as part right. of the ruse to kill Vortigan. So the, the real Blacklegs have masks. Um, so it's like... but. Like, establish that there's a reason for them to have masks. Don't just go, oh, we're wearing masks now, boys. Yep, it's ridiculous. Um, Arthur also gives his uh, sword to a kid. The kid then goes back and ends up getting his uh, his dad killed because the kid is thick. Yeah, because of course also I have a completely uncontrollable magic sword that makes me pass out every time I hold it. Let me give it to this 10-year-old child. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So Arthur runs away and they all kind of semi-escape, but he, he escapes on his own and tries to make a run for it. And um, what does he do with his beloved sword, Sarah? He, of course, throws it in a lake because I guess things didn't go exactly as planned. So let me throw my sword in the lake now. And now, once again, we have the lady of the lake because I guess she just appears in whatever lake you happen to throw a sword in. <laughs> I think that's the the general gist of that lady in the lake. She can go through anybody's water. Some people even say that she is Loch Nessie. Not Loch Nessie. Kind of Nessie. Like a, it's like a it's like a quantum lake. You throw the the sword into it, and that makes her appear. 
That's how quantum physics works, right? That's exactly how quantum <laughs> physics works. If you're in the timeline universe, yeah. um, perhaps there's a wormhole which links to two places. Um, exactly. It links every <laughs> lake and the lady of the lake can travel through them whenever you throw a sword into it. All of them. She also travels through time. And sometimes she just likes to tuck me into bed at night because the lady in the lake does everything. But anyway, let's put aside the point. It's um, too bad she technically also does not have a name. <laughs> she I'm doesn't not have counting a name. Lady of the Lake as a name. Lady in the Lake is not a name. Um, and also, she's not really a lady. She's like half squid monster person. But um, There are a lot of squid monsters. He's taken a long time. She comes back and shows, like Lady in the Lake shows up, shows him a vision. This is what's going to happen if you don't go back. Um, and then he takes a sweet time about going back and telling Vedi- Bedivere, oh, yeah, I'm ready to be cool now. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to go back, right? Uh, but this also means that all of his friends have been killed and uh, the mage has been captured. Now, I say the mage. The mage, of course, is the only, well, one of two women remaining in the movie. Yes. So, Vortigern, at this point, of, you know, has, ca- has either captured or killed all of his friends. Arthur is told he has to surrender. So he does, he surrenders. Um, the mage, however, is able to prevent him from being executed by summoning a giant snake, even more giant than the ones in the Darklands. No. Yay, snake. <laughs> this, this is something that I was watching this, um, and I completely misread this scene uh, because I thought the snake was trying to kill Arthur. And I was like, <laughs> why? Where the fuck did the snake come from? And... Um, it's it turns out snake. that she she had brought the snake. It was a good snake. Yeah, the snake is our friend. And the snake is our friend. And um, they managed to escape again, kind of. But uh, Arthur is basically starting to kill all of Vortigan's men. And Vortigan knows that the gig is up because um, Bedivere has brought all of their army in and have managed to sneak in because the giant... I think the giant snake knocks down a part of the battlements and that's seen as a signal right. for them to get in. So, uh, yeah, so they came and tried to basically save the mage and Arthur gave himself up, but it was a ruse the entire time. It's almost like they've seen the Empire Strikes Back or they've seen, sorry, they've seen the start of Return of the Jedi. They've definitely seen a lot of better movies than this one. They definitely uh, have. That they're calling upon. Yeah, Uh, but Arthur is there and they're killing all of Vortigan's men so Vortigan says there's only one thing I can do I can find one of the two remaining women in the movie and I'm gonna murder her so he finds his daughter who I don't think says anything in the movies except dad I think Um, she makes a snarky comment to him in one scene like a while ago yeah it's like at the very beginning yeah um it's like dad and uh then she gets killed so that he can turn back into the giant monster and he right, takes Arthur. because he needs Arthur. to kill a loved one to turn into a monster again. Into a monster. So he takes Arthur to some sort of weird nether dimension kind of thing. If anyone's ever played the Batman Arkham Asylum game, it's like where it's like they've suddenly created Scarecrow's little world because Arthur has to do a little bit of um, a little bit of parkour to get up to fight him in some sort of... Right weird uh kind of i suppose it's like an altar kind of room kind of thing and it's a uh, scene kind of does look like it should be in a video game of yeah. some kind certainly it looks like it should be in dark souls except in dark souls you wouldn't be winning the way that this is going to go right down. so is about to lose but he has a vision of his dad his dad's like yeah you could do it i believe in you all along son and then 
for some reason this suddenly makes him a super powerful warrior and having a vision in the middle of a fight you don't need to run anymore you don't need to look away always weird to me because yeah he seems to have a lot of time for weird dream sequences like weird dream sequences in fights are weird there's one like there's a movie called no retreat no surrender and it's a it's a crappy karate movie from the 80s right and our main guy is fighting john claude van damme at the end and he gets kicked in the head really hard and he has this vision and the vision is like going back to his friend and then his trainer like talking to him mm-hmm. and it takes like a good 20 25 seconds like it's like you can do it we always believed in you right during this time van damme would have kicked him 50 times in the head mm-hmm. he's a bit like but we're supposed to believe that this was an instantaneous vision that he had that it was like felt like 30 seconds i don't know it's a, right and this this is another one of those scenes vortigan surely would have killed him during this time. Well, he's in the middle of this dream sequence. He's in the middle of a dream. He's on his knees with his back to Vortigan uh, when he's having the dream sequence. And it's just, it's ridiculous, right? But he wakes up and he kills Vortigan. And uh, yeah, it's it's weird. But I do actually first want to pay attention to the ridiculous line that is exchanged, I think, right as Vortigern's dying. That Vortigern's like, well, you wouldn't have like been so great if I hadn't like if you'd like grown up as like with your dad in this palace and so then mm-hmm. Arthur's like you want to know what gave me so much drive it was you you put me on the streets and in a brothel you wanted to know what gave me such drive it was you you put me in that brothel I bless you because of that. It's a ridiculous line. And also I would like to add, no one has used the phrase put me on the streets until at least like 1980. Um, So again, we're doing creative anachronisms, which would work in a better movie potentially. Yeah. As you said before, this like creative anachronisms work in a night's tale. A night's tale is a good movie. Exactly. This is not a good movie. Um, Yeah, that reads like something straight out of Rocky. You put me on the streets. I worked in that brothel. And I'm here now. No, so I'm doing Batman there. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I can't do accents anymore. Damn it, Sarah. I've ruined my accent abilities. But they get to the end. We're at the end of the movie. Yes. It's only taken us an hour to get through this terrible movie. (laughs) It's a terrible, terrible movie. King Arthur is talking to the Vikings who were there at the start and who've been 
like who for some reason were under the protection of the king, but are I also protecting the king. Hired them to do something. It's really not clear. This movie has an extremely convoluted plot. Well, it's like there's three thousand ships full of them, and they're ready to come into Londinium, and they're standing in front of the throne. And Arthur is on the throne, and they're like, "I've got three thousand ships with fifty Vikings each, ready to come into this city and destroy it." And then King Arthur just kind of goes, "Nah, fuck it." Well, I understand there's been a change in the leadership of this nation. I'm confident that you will still honor the agreement made by your predecessor and my king. We expect to leave here with ten thousand young men as agreed. Yeah, I don't think so, mate. Excuse me. I said I don't think so, mate. We're not. We're not honouring your agreement. And then the Vikings just kind of back off. Like there's no, like oh, you've got a sword that makes you pass out. We're definitely going to do what you want. Hey, it also controls dirt. And it also controls dirt. You can make earthquakes. <laughs> um, it's also at this point that we find out that one of Arthur's buddies, who was called Wetstick, was actually been Sir Tristan all along, which actually yep. made me go, fuck you, movie. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Tristan Wetstick. God, oh, it's just... So, listen, guys, we're going to get to it when we get to the um, the summing up part at the end, Estimatio. But uh, this movie's not good. and um, I hate this movie. Yeah, Sarah hates this movie. Um... And it's going to lead us into... That's the end of the movie, by the way. It's just him telling the Vikings to bugger off. Um, oh, and then they kneel... Yeah, and then they all kneel before him. But yeah, because he has his dirt sword. Um, we have a total of zero named female characters surviving to the end. And only one female character who actually did survive to the end. And that's the mage. If I, I think there's correctly. also a couple of miscellaneous prostitutes that show up. Uh, but they're like, I don't think they ever have lines or anything. They're just... Oh, no. Yes, there's only one female character with a speaking role who survives. And I, 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 for a long time, I thought she didn't. And I said, I am assuming that they didn't give her name because they're going to reveal it in, if there had been a second movie, that she was a Guinevere. Yeah, Uh, I bet you're right. Thank God this movie did not make enough money to have a sequel. Which now leads us into the next section, Sarah. Now, I'm, I'm going to sit back and enjoy this bit because this is the bit where Sarah tells us what the movie got right and what the got movie got wrong and this is called Vera it falls so Sarah what did the movie get Vera I really was struggling here this part was really hard uh let's see well there's you know the kind of background of real arthurian legend and in real arthurian legend there's somebody named arthur and uther is his father so that's they've got that one um in terms of actual history uh so as i said before they are attempting to set this in the kind of late fifth early sixth century so the kind of immediate post-roman period Mm -hmm. uh at some point they show an aqueduct that's pretty good. There would have been aqueducts. <laughs> there are, in fact, still aqueducts you can go see in Britain today. Okay, so they got the fact that there were aqueducts. Um, one of the aqueducts at the beginning um, gets broken by a giant elephant. There's a bridge. The bridge gets broken, and there's an aqueduct on the other side that gets knocked over by a giant elephant. So yeah, that's I'm not taking, doing I'm taking so well. away. 
yeah, I'm taking away that as a point <laughs> for accuracy. <laughs> aqueduct gets crushed by a giant elephant, which, as we know, did not happen because elephants aren't 57 feet tall. They are not. They also, I do not think there was any point at which there were elephants running around Britain. No, that's what you like to think. They all had their war giant elephants. So what did the movie get wrong? So this particular historical period that they are attempting to set it in, the point is essentially, if you're actually talking about this period as a historian, the point of it and the kind of crucial things you would say about it is that it's this period of... uh, essentially the kind of disintegration of any real effective authority. And it's a period also of de-urbanization. So it's not really a kind of great period to be hanging around in, in many ways. Um, If one was going to use the term dark ages, which I don't because I hate it, this would be the exact like hundred year period that you might apply it to. Wait, Sarah, you like, you hate the dark ages. I hate the term, the dark ages. I would never, ever use it. To the extent that one would ever want to use it, it would probably be for Britain in exactly this period. Are are you not a Dark Ages historian? No, we call it the Middle Ages, which is also a problematic term, but I probably shouldn't get into that at the moment. Is is your job not Dark Agesist? No, I'm a medievalist. Oh. We call we call us medievalists. Okay, sorry, my mistake, my mistake. <laughs> I'm gonna keep doing that. As many times as I can. <laughs> yeah, so I, I hate the phrase the Dark Ages very much because it implies that the Middle Ages was violent and terrible and that nothing interesting or important happened. Um, but this is actually probably a period where it definitely was not a great place to be living. Like, I really wouldn't want to be alive in late 5th, early 6th century Britain. Based um, on this movie, I'm a woman, so I wouldn't be. I'd be dead in like five seconds. <laughs> you'd be dead, or you'd be one of those few remaining prostitutes. Yeah, I'd be a nameless prostitute. That'd be fun. That would be fun. So, um, one of the things in particular I would say that is very much off in this movie is the portrayal of London, or they do use the Roman name Londinium. Um, Londinium seems to have been by the kind of end of the fifth century seems to have been basically in ruins and nobody was living there or you know maybe a couple of people were kind of squatting amongst the ruins but uh, it was very much not a thriving metropolis with a strong brothel prostitute community as is depicted in this movie Mm. Um, the other big thing in relation to the kind of disintegration of authority issue is that uh, this is yet another movie that presents Britain as essentially united under a single ruler, in this case, first Uther and then Vortigern, uh, which it very much isn't. I mean, there's this whole thing where the Lady of the Lake shows him this vision about, oh, it's going to be so awful if England has to be ruled by Vortigern. He would be ruling about like a area of approximately 10 square miles. It really wouldn't matter that much, even if he did rule. <laughs> um, T- 10 square miles is a lot. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not that big of a country, but uh, it's bigger than Ireland. It, oh, <laughs> throw, us under, throw us under the bus. That's a little mean. Uh, if, if it hadn't have been for um, sexy, sexy Tristan, we would have taken over England. Hey, you should have. Yeah, and Lord Ireland Mark. Ireland is much prettier than Britain. Yeah, Ireland is much prettier than Britain. Um, and... Uh, Lord Mark would never have become King Mark. But anyway, that's beside the point. Yes, Listen to our um, Tristan and Isolde episode. That's yes. a bad, bad movie. 
Um, <laughs> yes. And then the, the other kind of big thing, of course, as I hinted out before that it gets wrong is that, uh, so one of the kind of central groups of people in this movie are the Vikings, which it says Vortigern basically brought in and is protecting, uh, the first recorded reference to the Vikings is in the late 8th century. So we are, again, about 300 years off on the Vikings. Um, Sarah, quick question. There were no Vikings, as in no Vikings at all, or just no Vikings in Britain? So uh, there obviously would have been people who were the ancestors of the people we call the Vikings living in the various kind of Scandinavian countries. Yeah. When we talk about the Vikings, we're usually referring to them particularly in the context of their kind of travel for both raiding and trading purposes, um, which is to Britain. But then they're also it's the same group of people that are actually trading with Russia and with the and uh, with the Islamic world in the Middle East. Um, there are a number of other places in Northern Europe where we know about Viking raids, and we don't have references to any of this going on until at least the uh, the late 8th century. So there certainly would have been people in Scandinavia who were the ancestors of the Vikings, but you don't really talk about the Viking Age until, you know, you have their kind of rise in the late 8th century when they, I guess, develop better boats or something. Hmm. Um, uh, and they certainly would not have been in Britain. And would they have been busy um, just, like, fighting the Grendel? Yeah, exactly. Ah... <laughs> <sighs> They've Damn. got like so many uh, monsters. Like they've got a Grendel. They've got Grendel's mother, sexy Angelina Jolie. You know, they've got dragons. Like they don't have time to go and bother with the English. Exactly. Uh, and sometimes they had to learn how to train those dragons. Hey, guys, here's a little tip. Instead of watching this movie, watch How to Train a Dragon. Watch really any movie except for this one. <laughs> just any. Okay. Now, Sarah, just a quick question. The movie didn't get anything right. It got a lot of stuff wrong. I mean, we're only talking a little bit about it because normally uh, what we do is we don't talk about the falsos until this section, but we were talking about the whole of the movie because literally they get everything wrong. Pretty but much. is there a chance that they may have got a real person in this movie? Sort of, maybe. They at least have a person who is referenced in real historical sources and who is maybe a real person. No, this is thing. This is a section we call Historia et Veritas. And normally this is where Sarah tells us about a real historical person. But this movie is so bad. It's so bad and so inaccurate that we have to talk about a possible person who may have existed. Sarah, who are we, talk, <laughs> who are we talking about today? So we're talking about Vortigern, Jude Law himself. Um, so actually, as I was watching this movie, they kept saying Vortigern, Vortigern. And I'm watching this, and I'm actually thinking, I've definitely heard the name Vortigern before, but it is definitely not from Arthurian legend. So mm. I looked him up and did some research, and instead, the origins of Vortigern um, are that he was first uh, referred to by name by the 8th century English historian Bede, who identified him as the 5th century king of the Britons. So Arthurian legend typically presents Arthur as a person who kind of united the people of the British Isles. Um, but if you were to ask uh, very early English historians, that person might have been Vortigern. Um, so the account that Bede gives us comes from a 6th century account, so relatively close in time to this period, um, of another English historian. 
And so he, however, doesn't quite talk about him as a king. Uh, he refers to him specifically as a usurper. Uh, the term, the Latin word is tyrannus, um, so which could also be translated tyrant, but we seem to think it might be usurper in this particular context. Um, who basically seems to have kind of taken over, not entirely licitly, the rule of an area of uh, eastern England um, and is sort of co-ruling with the council of some kind. Uh, interestingly, it is actually this council, which is who is uh, dumb enough, according to the 6th century historian, to invite in the Saxons, who then basically take over um, and kill a lot of the poor little Britons. Uh, Bede, actually, when he talks about this, talks about the kind of poor little remnants of the Britons, and the Latins kind of makes it sound like they've been sort of ripped to shreds, and when he says remnants, he means like the little like bits of pieces of flesh. Sorry, this is a thing that I found very amusing when I was reading Bede in Latin about a decade ago. No way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so Vortigern uh, appears as this figure who invited in the Saxons. So by the way, hint Guy Ritchie, if you'd made the Vikings into the Saxons, this movie would have made slightly more sense. Um, and also the other interesting thing is that Guy Ritchie is far from the first person, however, to see Vortigern as a pretty awful guy. Um, so you already have the fairly negative description of him in these pretty early English historians. Uh, but then there's also a ninth century history, which in fact is even more dramatic in terms of how negatively it depicts Vortigern. So our Vortigern murdered his daughter. The Vortigern of the ninth century Historia Britonum uh, has an incestuous relationship with his daughter. Charming. Uh, really? He is also, yep. <laughs> And has a wow. child with her. This is wait, this sounds very similar to something that might have happened in Game of Thrones. Yeah, I mean, or for that matter, Arthurian legend. Uh, that actually might be where the Mordred plotline in traditional Arthurian legend came from. Is this bit about Vortigern? Wow. But yeah, yeah, no, it seems like it should be in Game of Thrones, but instead it's in a ninth century uh, text in Latin about the supposed history, uh, history of England. I started to say the supposed historia because I was just using the Latin word again. We're going to move on to our next section. Sarah, that was very interesting, and uh, I'm, I'm really annoyed that we couldn't even have a real historical person to talk about this week, but... We're going to talk about what version of the movie we would make. And I think I went first the last time. So I'm going to let you go first this time. And I know you're going to cast Sexy Sexy Chris in this. But that's okay. I will find an alternative casting choice for him. I but mean, uh, Sexy Chris could be in every movie. He can be in every movie. But we are going to do now our Fabula Nostro. Where we... God damn, I get worse at this every time. <laughs> where... So I, I may hit a note at some stage, but um, we're going to give up our version of the movie. So, Sarah, what would your version of the movie King Arthur Legend of the Sword be? Okay, so first of all, I genuinely liked some of the magic elements of this movie. I could see keeping some of those. So I thought that the whole bit about... Um, the, I thought the whole bit about this stone that the sword is in actually being Uther's body was really cool. I thought that the element of um, uh, there being like this villain who turns into this kind of like demon monster was kind of cool. So 
I could see keeping some elements of the kind of magic of this movie. And I also like the idea of trying to set Arthur in a world that resembles his supposed historical context. So setting Arthur in this period of the kind of late 5th, early 6th century Britain. Hmm. But if I were making it, uh, first of all, I'd have it make uh, make some actual sense for this time period. So I would present Arthur as a kind of like local warlord, um, as opposed to successfully uniting all of Britain. I think it's cool that they have all of these invaders that they're dealing with, but I'd maybe have them just be Saxons because that would actually make sense. And they're essentially trying to deal with this crumbling, de-urbanized society and semi-successfully impose some semblance of order on it. And also, here's a fun idea. In my version, I'm going to have, in fact, at least two named women who don't die. Ooh. Yeah. So... First of all, as my King Arthur, I am going to cast Sexy Sexy Chris. And also for everyone listening, when we say Sexy Sexy Chris, we are in agreement that the sexiest Chris is Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, the of course. The other Chrises are, some of them are good, but they are slightly inferior. Some of them are, like, they're they're fine. Like, I mean, yeah. you can have your Chris Duff Waltzes, you can have your Chris Evanses, whatever. Like, Chris Hemsworth's just, it's just, it's just a little bit more sexy than the rest of them. Yeah, no, I mean Chris Chris Evans is a is a decent second. Yeah, you mean like he's yeah. fine. Like I mean like if Chris Evans if I went upstairs, right? Now I'm I'm not a gay man. I'm I'm not at all, right? But if I went upstairs and Chris Evans was in my bed and he was like, Come on in, Ollie, I'd be like, No, Chris, I'm not a gay man. If I went upstairs and Chris Hemsworth was there and he said, Come on in, Ollie, I'd be like, eh, everyone gets one. And then <laughs> I jump Chris in. Hemsworth is your one. And see how it goes. Chris Hemsworth's my one. Yeah, um, that's fair. That's fair. That's a good Although, point. although I do want to say that The Rock, if you're listening, you'll always be my boy. It's okay. You you could have like up to three, I think. Oh, up to three. And Jason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going to ha- cast sexy Chris Hemsworth as my um, Arthur as Warlord. Um, I did like the idea of having a lady wizard, but you know what? I'm just going to make her Merlin. Just have Merlin be a woman. In fact, I actually think it could be kind of cool if you could just actually say that Merlin basically is a title rather than a person, um, you know, and so sometimes they're, you know, men and sometimes they're women and whatever. Um, I actually think, uh, okay, Al, you're going to help me pronounce her name because I can never actually remember how to pronounce it right. <laughs> Circe Ronan? Her name is Circe Ronan, right? Circe Ronan. And Saoirse. Her, first name, her first name is the Irish for freedom, right? Oh, that's nice. It is a lovely name. So, Sirsha slash Sirsha Ronan. Uh, I think she's actually kind of eerie looking, to be honest. Like, I think she's a little bit creepy. And so I actually think she would be a great uh, like wizard. So yep. I'm yes, going to have would be, her yeah. as my Merlin. Um, and you know what? I'm going to have like three women in this movie and none of them are going to die. I'm oh. also going to have uh, Rosamund Pike as Guinevere. And I think Eva Green would actually make an amazing Morgetta because I was thinking about this the other day and she's kind of like the more talented version of Katie McGrath or I guess maybe Katie McGrath is the less talented version of Eva Green. Oh my God. You're not going to like my casting in a minute. Oh, okay. So uh, I'm going to make one more note about casting and then we're going to move on to yours. My note is that this movie... um, Let's put it this way. This movie had some cameos of some people who were only in this movie because they're buddies with Guy Ritchie and were in the movie for like five seconds. Yeah. 
if Guy Ritchie had been good buddies with Mads Mikkelsen, Mads Mikkelsen absolutely would have played Mordred. So I'm going to have Mordred actually be the main villain of my Arthurian legend, as he often is in Arthurian legends. And I'm going to have him played by Mads Mikkelsen because Mads Mikkelsen is the best villain and everyone should watch Hannibal immediately. Yeah, I've, so. I've, been, I've been told this by various if deckers um that i should watch uh, i should watch hannibal and i don't know if i will i you know i it just seems like it's such a commitment to watch five seasons of a tv show no there's only three there's only three yeah <laughs> couldn't even couldn't see, even get see. to five seasons yeah why would i watch it like gets cancelled after three it's uh it's everyone is wrong or well the ratings are wrong about hannibal hannibal is just some people aren't quite clever enough to appreciate Hannibal. <laughs> now I have to watch it <laughs> to see if I'm clever enough to appreciate it. Well, um, okay. I will watch Hannibal with you anytime. Sweet. Right, now, uh, this is what my version of the movie is, right? So the movie is called King Arthur Legend of the Sword. And I have the idea of an old Arthur. He's sitting at home and he's talking to his son, Merlin. All right? Mm. He's got a son named Merlin. And his son goes... Daddy, Daddy, <laughs> why do I have such a ridiculous name? <laughs> and Arthur goes, come up and sit on my knee, boy. And he sits him on his knee. And he says, boy, because this is, I'm assuming this is the way he talks to his, his son. He's like, boy, I'm going to tell you a story. And the story is the legend of my sword. And he points up to his sword, which is above the fireplace. And it's Excalibur because he doesn't need it anymore because they're living in a time of peace, right? <laughs> and he says... I'm going to tell you a story, boy, of the sword. And we're going to have what I consider classic Arthurian legend, right? So it's going to be Arthur now telling his child all about how he went into exile after Uther was killed, was hidden in a village, but knew all along that he was King Arthur and mm -hmm. waited for his chance to come and reclaim what was rightfully his. This chance was given to him by Merlin, who had Excalibur in a um, rock, and the only person who could pull it out was Arthur, right? And what I want to have happen is for this to be a background story about Arthur, but instead of making up stuff like this movie decides to do, just follow the standard sword in the stone formula and put good actors in it, have a good director direct it, and just follow the basic concepts, which is Arthur is hiding out. He goes and he pulls the sword. If you want, you can have him be shocked that he pulls the sword out. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Or you can have him actually be like really happy that he pulls the sword out. But the entire time, we have Merlin as a young man. We have uh, Mordred as a younger man. We have Morgana young there. We have young Guinevere. We have young Arthur. And we get the classic story of Arthur and Guinevere. We don't have to bring in um, the Great Betrayal. We don't have to have a Lancelot. We don't even have to have the Knights of the Round Table. This can be all leading up to the Knights of the Round Table. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're getting the Legend and Sword because the Round Table will be its own sequel because we're going to make serious bank with this movie, right? Mm -hmm. Now... That's what I would say. That's what I want this movie to be. So it's a dad telling his son the story of how he got to become the king and how he picked up his son. His son got his name, which is the name Marilyn, which nobody else has the name Marilyn, right? Now, in this, I'm going to cast an old Arthur, 
an old Guinevere, a young Arthur, a young Guinevere. Mm-hmm. We're going to have child Merlin. We're going to have the original Merlin, right? Which is the magician Merlin. Right. And then we're going to have a bad guy. And uh, we're going to have a Morgana, right? Now, my Morgana is going to be played by Katie McGrath um, because I think she's perfect Good as old. Morgana. I, I do too. I, I'm i just trying to do a like higher end version. No, no, she's, she's, she's good for this because Morgana's, she, Morgana's going to be there um, and I, I have a plot laid out for it. It would be a spoiler to anybody because this movie may eventually get made. Um, it would be a spoiler for anybody to know what she does. She's not a major character in this one. She becomes the major villain after the villain in this movie gets mm. destroyed. The villain in this movie is Mordred and he's going to be played by uh, one Colin Farrell. And oh. Colin Farrell, who I think is an intense actor, a very good actor, and I think he does a much better job as playing a villain than he does of playing a hero, despite the fact that yeah. a lot of times people want to do that. I think he's the best thing in um, the first of those, uh, what do you call them? The Fantastic Beasts. The Fantastic Beasts movie. Because he I plays would actually a, a, agree with that. A creepy, scary dude going around doing creepy, scary stuff, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, he's a solid villain. No, the original Marilyn, I'm going to have played by the very attractive. If his name was Chris, he'd be he'd be vying with Hemsworth for for names, but his name is not. His name is Michael. It's Michael Fassbender, and mm-hmm. I think he would make an excellent Marilyn because again, he's got that intensity, but he's also able to be a little bit fun. Just imagine his Magneto. Yeah. But instead of magnet magnet powers, he's got magic powers, right? Um, yeah. And then we get to Child Merlin, and Child Merlin is going to be played by some kid. I don't give a shit. He's 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 <laughs> only going to be there to sit on his dad's lap and go. Some, maybe some it's child. a guy. It's a guy who will become a great actor in the future. Maybe it's a guy who will grow up to be famous, and everyone will be like, "Oh, that's the kid from the King Arthur Legend of Sword movie." Yeah, right? he got a, he got a start. I think now young Arthur is going to be played by Kit Harrington, Jon Snow, mm-hmm. right? Because he has to play a, a clueless, gormless character who's going to learn his way. He knows I mean, nothing. That's, that's basically Jon Snow, right? Um, and young Guinevere. Now, to me, Guinevere is not an English-sounding name. So we're going to try and set this okay. in a vaguely realistic thing. I think Guinevere is a French-sounding name, so I'm going to cast Leah Seydoux as... Oh, that's a cool idea. Yeah. Oh, do they Guinevere. have an arranged marriage? Because I am have... all for people having arranged marriages and acknowledging that that's how the world works in the Middle this Ages. Is... This is what I'm thinking is going to happen. I'm going to think that she was actually going to be arranged to be married to the current sitting king. Mm. And then King Arthur usurps him to take over and become the rightful king. And then they end up getting married. And then that can again lead to the fact that maybe she had a pre-existing relationship with Lancelot. And Mm. we can see how that goes on. I mean, that's kind of the best thing. Now, older Arthur... I'm going to be played... Now, I was going to have him played by Chris Hemsworth, but I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> I, um, Chris Hemsworth and just like a lot of prosthetics. Exactly. I'm going to have him played by an actor, a British actor named Tobias Menzies. I do not Tobias, know who that is. Uh, he's a really, really good actor. Um, he looks like an older Kit Harrington. He's the perfect okay. age for it. He's a handsome man and he plays kind of... He plays... British very well so he's basically going to be playing an older king at this point so so I'm happy with this and then I thought this was a little bit fun the older Guinevere I'm going to be played by or I'm going to have played by older Lea Seydoux or as I like to call her Sophie Marceau from Braveheart is going to play <laughs> older Guinevere and she's roughly the same age as Tobias Menzies nice. um, she's 
very attractive. She still looks really good. She's still acting in French movies now. This is going to be her chance to get into another Hollywood movie. And it's just basically going to be Arthurian legend told as if Arthur lived and survived. And it's about how they defeated Mordred. It's about how to defeat Mordred and how Merlin dies and why we have Merlin being the name of Arthur's son and also how we ended up with Morgana being the main villain for the rest of the mm. series of movies that we have. I have an important question. Yes. At the end, can our little Merlin say, but dad, what if I grew up to be evil? And his dad can say, well, Merlin Mordred, you're named after two of the greatest wizards I ever knew. <laughs> and one of them was evil. Uh, that's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's pretty much where I'm going to go. So, uh, yeah, I, I would watch your movie. Um, I think uh, I would definitely watch the one I want to cast. I would absolutely watch your movie as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, right, so we get to our last section, which is... Estimatio. <laughs> God damn. Um, <laughs> where we sum up this movie. Um, now, Sarah, I believe you have a question for us. So... What is the lowest rating we give on this podcast? The How lowest low rating can I go? <laughs> you can go you can go as low as one, one out of five. Isn't that what we discussed at the very beginning of the making the podcast? Yeah, I guess I guess we decided at the beginning of making the podcast that it would be a one to five scale. I tell you what, Sarah, I'll make a deal. <clears throat> uh-huh. For each of us, we get one exception where we can make it a 0 0.5 or a 0, but we only get one exception, which means that if we come along to another one that you want to give a 0 or 0 0.5 rating to, King Arthur Legend of Sword has to pop back up to 1. Okay. I think I'm going to go ahead and give my 0. For now, I'm I'm actually feeling really good about this being the zero. Okay, so you're giving the zero to five because it literally has zero redeeming features. Yes, there is nothing. I guess I said it before that like there's a couple of like magic things that are kind of cool, but honestly, that didn't change the fact that I hate this movie. I hate this movie more than I think almost any other movie I have ever seen. Um, I <laughs> hate the fact that this movie just hates women. I hate the fact that it got pretty much nothing right about the historical period it's supposed to be set in and honestly neither got things right about Arthurian legend nor for the most part had a reinterpretation of Arthurian legend which was particularly interesting. And I just thought this was a terrible movie and thank God enough people agreed with me that it's not going to get sequels. <laughs> um Right, so this is your zero out of five movie. This is this really is my bad. zero. This is Sarah's zero, right? Um, it's worse than Robin Hood. Yes. Okay. I have to disagree with you, Sarah. I can't. This is not going to be my zero. Okay. Um, because the historical inaccuracies don't mean as much to me because I, I understand I that. So I do however hate the fact that this movie hates women 
I do appreciate this movie for one thing, and that is that it did invent the if Decker test. Now you called it our test. This is it's Sarah's test. Sarah, Sarah was irate during this movie that none of the female characters I didn't even notice. I think until she pointed it out to me. But yeah, so this movie invented the if Decker test because it literally treats women like shit, and because of that, I'm giving this a one out of five. Anything which I would have enjoyed of it is just wiped out. But I don't think it's the worst movie we're going to have reviewed by the end of this. So I don't I want to give it a zero. I might change my mind, but right now I'm feeling really good about that zero. I am 100% certain we're going to do a worse movie at some stage in the next few weeks. We might. I'm going to spring it on Sarah. She's not going to. She's going to be like, oh, no, what's the movie we're going to do? It's bad. It's really <laughs> bad. Um, But yeah, it is. Um, And that movie is called Legend of the King. Or In the Name of the King, starring Jason Statham. Uh, the worst movie I may have ever seen. Um, wait i've but, never even heard of this movie what oh it's like a dungeon siege story it's based on a video game it's terrible i am excited to watch but, this movie but jason statham is wonderful because he's jason statham but uh, i'm gonna give it a one and five it, it's pfft, the cast that's in it are watchable like i mean i'd watch little finger do anything um so i feel like, like this would have been a so I feel like this would have been a better movie if they'd had somebody that wasn't Charlie Hunnam being King Arthur. I mean, I find him very wooden. He really doesn't have much charisma. So the rest of the cast is actually pretty good, but he's just so kind of a nothing as a hero. Yeah, that he really, really is. doesn't help with the fact that but I even, this movie. Even if you'd cast somebody super charismatic, like even if Chris Hemsworth was King Arthur in this movie, it's not going to... Even if The Rock was Chris Hemsworth in this movie, it wasn't going to make this a good movie. Like, it seems to be all over the place. I imagine it had been... It had a screenplay that then got rewritten 58 times. Yeah, based on the trivia that I read, that seems to have been the case. Yeah, because um, it's, it's all over the shop in terms of places. Like, even with the lady being named the mage i imagine that at some point she had a real name and they were like oh let's just call her the mage we'll give her a better name and then forgot to give her a better name like it's women oof. are very expendable so according yeah. to this movie so you're gonna zero to five i'm gonna one to five it is officially the worst movie we've done so far on the podcast is this worse than timeline i think it's a lot worse than timeline but well see it can't officially be worse or be better than Timeline because one of our um, members gave it a four out of five. That's true. Our rating of time, I guess actually, okay. So I guess our total rating of Timeline is like what? Seven divided by three. So that's like a two point something. Two point something out of five. So yeah, it's, you know, that's, uh, you know, in fairness to Timeline, it was all right. It's definitely not, I think, the... I think I would call it right now, like, the third worst movie if I was going to rank them. I would also rank the third worst movie. Yeah. Robin Hood is definitely worse. And yeah. uh, this is definitely worse. So, yep. Sarah. Interesting. Sarah, would you like to tell people how they can get in contact with us? I would love to. So, first of all, if you have been enjoying this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcasting platform. And also, if you have any feedback for us, we encourage you to get in touch with us via email. Our email address is media.evilpod at gmail.com. That's M-E-D-I-A dot E-V-A-L at gmail.com. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter at MediaEvilPod. 
where I will occasionally tweet things relevant to this podcast in the Middle Ages. And I will never tweet because I do not know how. If you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me under my real name. So you can find me at Sarah Itch Decker on either of those platforms. Um, and Ollie, where else can they find you on the internet? You can find me on uh, Instagram, apparently. Um, don't know how that happened since I've never set up an Instagram, but <laughs> Facebook did it for me. Um, so you can find me on Instagram as Ollie Brady. I don't even know what my... You is can follow your, his account with zero pictures. Yeah, this is what you do. Follow Sarah, and then I think she's following me, so find me, and then you can look at that blank picture for as long as it's a blank picture because it ever going to get a picture uploaded to it. Um, you can find me at, uh, or just on Facebook as Ollie Brady. You can find me on my other podcast where I do one with my best friend Emily um, where we talk to people we only know from the internet. And uh, yeah, we just have... Uh, conversation with them every week and it's nice and it's fun and people have loads of interesting stories and sarah was one of our guests and it led to us doing this mm -hmm. podcast and it's great um so yeah you can find us there it's called best acquaintances or you can find us at best acquaintances pod at gmail and we have a uh, a facebook group which is really good and i'm sure that media evil would probably have a facebook group at this stage as well um yes because we're 10 episodes in but we'll sort that out once we start <laughs> releasing episodes um sarah what should we do next week? So next week, we will be delving into, for the first time, we'll be doing not a movie, but a TV show. And <gasps> the Last TV Kingdom. Show. What? The Last Kingdom. Nope. No. Oh. That TV show will be, as we have hinted at a couple of times, Merlin. <gasps> Merlin. Merlin and, uh, has a special place in our hearts, I would say. It really does. It is the origins of hashtag let him die. It's the origins of hashtag let him die and hashtag let him die. Um, but it's also a highly enjoyable TV show. Like, I'm going to say right now, I, I haven't decided yet what rating I'm going to give it, but I would still say regardless that I would pretty much recommend Merlin. Oh, yeah. So. Whatever whatever rating Sarah gives, I'm going to give it a star more. Yeah. Um, because what if I just... give it five stars? Well... I think if we're if we're allowing people to have a zero star, we'll allow people to have a six stars. Okay. But my six stars already reserved for another movie we'll be doing at some other point. Of course. Um, but uh, yeah, I, listen, Maryland TV show is really great, but we'll talk about that next week in depth. Yes. So, so Sarah, we look forward always, to talking to you next week. Yeah, always, can't wait. It's always a pleasure. Always love recording with you. And thank and you all for listening. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.